0: you remain risen in body or in spirit as we open the word of God to Isaiah chapter 43 verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of God. But now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through waters, I will be with you and through rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. Do not fear, I am with you. Christ is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God indeed. If you're standing, please be seated. Where's the beef? Got milk? Uh, Who are you going to call? Okay, it's getting better. That's good. That's good. I was trying to think. So my mom's birthday is today, everyone. So yes, that's awesome. I won't tell you how old, but it is a decade marker. And so, you know, you decide which decade. But I was trying to think of 60s phrases. Do you know any off the top of your head? I'm putting you on the spot. All right, think about it. You can tell us later. It's funny, we have these cultural references that we just immediately know, right? Clap on. Just that easy, right? Just comes. You don't even think about it. It's just there. We have these cultural references that we're used to in popular culture. But what's really neat about our Bibles is the writers of our Bibles do the same thing. And they refer back constantly to the most important moments in the history of Israel, in the history of God's people, over and over again. And as they do, they're reminding themselves of promises and of what God has done. And so they continually hyperlink, as Tim Mackey of the Bible Project likes to say, they hyperlink these certain phrases or thoughts or memories of God into their regular conversation. And today we see the prophet Isaiah do the exact same thing with us. I'm going to put a couple of pictures on the screen. The first one we're going to look at, we'll see if you recognize it or not, from a great animated musical from probably, I don't know, maybe I was a kid. I don't know. Anybody recognize this picture? What's it from? Prince of Egypt. Remember that great musical movie about Moses and the Ten Commandments and the, the parting of the Red Sea, right? And so this is the moment when the Israelites walk through the ocean. Through the Red Sea, and you can see a whale in the distance in the wall of ocean next to him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And frightening at the same time. <laughs> all right, let's look at the next one here. There's another hyperlink in our story. Stories about going through fire. Do you know who these guys are? Anybody? Wow. You guys know your Bibles. That was amazing. Now, how many of you say said Abednego? Because Kevin did, and it's wrong. It's Abednego, all right? Well, we can argue about that another time. These are hyperlinks or stories that come up in the Bible all the time. These are the ones I thought of when I read Isaiah this time around. You see, Pastor Aaron last week started a new series called Doors to Hope. And it's about having hope about our future as a church. As we close 2022 and we move towards 2023, we want to move together with hope for our future. But how do you have hope? That's a good question. It doesn't just come easily sometimes. And so Pastor Aaron gave us a beautiful overview of that process. And then he gave me the easy task of preaching on surrender. Because we like to surrender. No, we don't. Don't wave the white flag. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Never surrender, right? That's what we hear all the time. But it's actually a command of God, believe it or not. So we're gonna talk about surrender and how that can lead us to that door of hope. But as we do, as I was praying and thinking about surrender, I thought, you know, what are the obstacles to surrender? Why don't we? Because we don't, y'all, do we? We don't surrender usually. We like our way of doing things. We get comfortable. We don't want things to interfere or inconvenience us. What is a big obstacle, though? What's the biggest obstacle to surrender? As I thought about it and prayed about it, it occurred to me there's really only one major obstacle. And that is fear. Fear. That drives most of our unwillingness to let go of control, to let go of what we want, and surrender to God's will, as Aaron defined surrender last week. And isn't it true that we live in a culture of fear? I mean, we just do. We're afraid of everything. Our own shadow. We have this computer we carry around in our pockets. With the touch of a finger, we can look at all kinds of nonsense and scare ourselves half to death. You could be afraid of, uh, I don't know, wokeness or critical race theory. You could be afraid of racism or ethnocentrism or nativism. You could be afraid of this political party or that political party. It's scary stuff. It's easy to be afraid in our culture. You know, even in our own community sometimes we, we experience this. It feels like we're not getting along anymore. My own wife in the grocery store recently experienced an older man, a white man, just berating a young immigrant woman, just being rude to her, in our own town in Mustang, Oklahoma, and it broke her heart. And then we look at our own church, and we're having conversations about potential disaffiliation, and it's scary, and it's hard because it involves change. So there's a lot that we could be afraid of if we decided to be afraid. And God asks us to surrender, and we say, how? It's scary. It's too hard. But I would invite you to think about the time of Isaiah. This is really important because Isaiah wasn't writing in some easy, cozy time, you know. I mean, not to mention no electricity, no running water, which for me, I'm out, right? Not interested already. But then you talk about all the strife in the time of Isaiah. Imagine if the South had won the Civil War and the North and the South were independent nations. You yeah, the United States and the Confederate States, that's the situation that Israel found itself in during this time. Northern tribe of Israel, southern tribe of Judah, and they were facing constant invasion. They were the highway between Egypt and the empires of Babylon and Assyria. So empire just drove right through them all the time over and over again. And they were constantly at threat, but they were divided as well and fighting with one another. And Isaiah writes in this time frame, and he sees the writing on the wall. That's another hyperlink. That's the book of Daniel, by the way. But he sees the writing on the wall and recognizes judgment's coming. But why would judgment come? What have they done wrong? Well, as it turns out, a lot of things they've done wrong. They've been uh, treating the poor poorly, treating the immigrant poorly, not worshiping the way God had called them to worship, but worshiping their own way. And so they were under judgment. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you guys or <laughs> not. It kind of sounds familiar to me. I think about the statistics I read recently that, you know, uh, tithing, right? Tithing is really important. Of course, Pastor Aaron says Jesus said, give your all, everything. So sell all your possessions and follow Jesus, right? That's what you said. I think it's in the Bible, too. So he said you have a choice. You can either sell everything or at least do the 10%. So I'm going to do the 10%, you know. But tithing's important, right? But did you know the average church member gives 3% of their income to the church, not 10? Isn't that interesting? Another statistic is that the average church member goes to church every third Sunday, not every Sunday. So even today, we don't worship exactly the way I think God would call us to worship. I mean, we have busy lives, right? Things going on. All of us do. Well, Isaiah speaks in a time like this. A time when people felt divided, when people were afraid. And what does Isaiah say? Don't be afraid. Oh, well, thanks a lot, Isaiah. That's easy. Thanks. Don't be afraid. But did you know that don't be afraid occurs quite a bit in our Bibles? In fact, one scholar added up iterations of don't be afraid and said it was 366 times. Isn't that convenient? It's every day of the year, even in a leap year that you can read, Don't Be Afraid. But in fact, some iteration of Don't Be Afraid is the most common command in the whole Bible, as far as I could tell. Isn't that something? So God knew something about us and our character and our nature that God would say over and over and over again, Don't be afraid. Why? Because it's an obstacle to surrendering to God's will. So how do we overcome this? How do we overcome our fear so that we can surrender to God's will? This chapter in Isaiah today answers this question for us in a meaningful way. Because what Isaiah says is three simple things. In order to overcome our fear and surrender completely to God, we need to know who God is, we need to know where God is, and we need to know what God is. And when we know those things with a deep knowing, we'll be able to let it go just like Elsa and the balloon, right? I'll give it a minute. Okay. Let it go, surrender to God's will, and move forward in life. So let's talk about these things. Who God is, the first one. Who is God in Isaiah 43? Isaiah writes, But now says the Lord, he who created you, he who formed you, I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Who is God. This is beautiful, y'all. I think it's so wonderful because Isaiah tells us in his own words, God is one God in three persons. God is Father, a Father who loves to make children, beautiful, lovely children. And so God formed and made you as your Father. Yes, even you, even you, even when you're sleeping in church, even you, even you, even with your personality, even with my personality, God formed and made us as our Father in heaven, But we also learn that God calls us by name. God is spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit who, through the prevenient grace of God, calls us into relationship with God and calls us to join God's family. I have called you by name. But not only that, we learn that God is also the Son, the one who redeemed us, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he says right here, I am the Lord your God, your Savior, I have redeemed you. And you think about Jesus Christ and the work he did when he walked the earth and then died for us and rose for us. That's who God is. All right there in the book of Isaiah for us to see. So Isaiah tells us who God is, but then Isaiah also reminds us where God is. When we read the scripture here, it says, when you pass through waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they won't overwhelm you. You see, God isn't some God that's over there, up there, in the sky, in the stars. God is right here with you and with me. We can't forget that, that we're not alone. Even when you feel alone, you're not alone. God is with you. We know this, right? Favorite Christmas stories, we read them every year. And it says, he'll come, he'll be one of us, and his name shall be called... Emmanuel, you guys are so good. God with us. That's what that means. We're being reminded again and again that we are not alone. Whether in the waters or in the fire, we are with God and God is with us. So we know who God is and where God is, but then we learn what God is. Isaiah writes, you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. What a thing to, for the God of the universe to say. I mean, even your very closest person—if they ever looked you in the eyes and said, "You are precious in my sight," would you laugh at them if they did? "You are precious in my sight, and I love you." Wow. Some of y'all, I would believe it if you told me that. Lucido, I would believe it if you told me that. Mark, I'm not so sure. <laughs> You are precious in my sight, and I love you. What is God? God is love. God is love. So we find out who God is, where God is, and what God is, and that should lead us to a place where we can let go of fear and enter into a place of surrender. Surrender to God's will. Now, surrender is not a passive term, right? I mean, we, we see the picture of the guy with his arms spread open. We think, okay, I'm going to surrender to you, God. Just take it from me. I lay it at the cross. Let it go. All right, I'm going to go about my day, right? That's a passive act. The, the commands of God are very rarely passive. Think about love. Love is not an ooey-gooey passive feeling. I love you. Mark, I love you still, even though I made fun of you. I love you, right? It's not that passive ooey gooey thing. That's part of it. But what does love do? Well, it does stuff, right? Love makes your neighbor's life better. Love makes the grocery store clerk's day better than the day before. Love improves the lives of the people around you. Love does stuff. Love is active. Love is a verb. Think about another Bible word, forgiveness. Again, forgiveness. You could say, oh, I forgive you. Did you really? Probably not. Not the first time. I mean, we have to do it over and over again, right? And the more you're hurt, the more forgiveness is work, hard work, daily work, over and over again. And so forgiveness is an act. Moving towards someone you don't want to move towards. Working on a relationship you're tired of working on. Forgiveness is active. Love is active. Forgiveness is active. And in the same way, surrender is not passive. Surrender is active, you can put back on the screen the picture of the Israelites crossing the ocean floor. Think about this. They've got Egyptians chasing them. They've got to move forward, and they know that there's something promised to them on the other side. But they've got to go through that. Now, I wonder if you're standing at the edge of the ocean, and it splits in two, and there's a 100-foot wall of ocean on either side, and you see a whale like that swimming around in it. Are you willing to take that first step on that muddy ocean floor? Because that surrender, not the part where you say, okay, God, take me over the waters. No, the part where you take that first step into the ocean and trust that the waves aren't going to come crashing down around you. And that's what Isaiah says, right? When you pass through the waters, these waters, I will be with you and the rivers will not consume you and the fires will not consume you. Now, certainly it doesn't say that you won't get a little wet, does it? And it doesn't say you won't feel the heat. I'm going to assume, even though Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were smiling in that picture, I don't think they were really smiling, probably. I wouldn't have been smiling, and I bet they were sweating a little bit, right? They felt the heat, but they stepped into the furnace. And the Israelites felt the fear of that ocean, but they stepped onto the ocean floor and walked through it to the other side, knowing who God is. Where God is and what God is. And so we're reminded of that here today as we're asked to take an act of surrender, not a passive surrender, not just words, but action and surrendering to God's will in our lives. And when we do, that's when those doors of hope fling open and we see an opportunity to be generous, way more generous than we ever thought possible, an opportunity to be kind, way kinder than we ever thought possible. An opportunity to love others way more than we ever thought we could. So how can you surrender in action? What can you surrender to God's will? Maybe it's your leadership at work or at school. Maybe it's giving up a friendship that's not healthy for you. Or maybe it's adding a new friendship because you've been called to walk with somebody. Maybe it has something to do with, here it comes, your money. Ooh, yeah. I know, money, but how do you surrender to God's will for your money? I said it in the first service, I like my Chevy Silverado. I know some of you don't, I don't care. You're Ford people, that's fine. I don't judge you, but I like it. I don't want to give it up. Maybe God will call me to give it up one day. I don't know. The big one, how do you surrender to God's will for this church? That's a hard one. You know, tomorrow the Holy Conversations team starts meeting and talking about the uh, denominational affiliation of this church and praying through things and listening to a lot of information. But the question we'll be asking ourselves is not what do I want for this church, it's what does God want for this church? And that is way harder because I know what I want, you probably know what you want, but we have to ask what does God want? And so, hopefully, I think we will, just like all of you, look at who God is, where God is, and what God is. And that will drive our decision making and surrendering to God's will. And let God lead us wherever God will take us, even through the ocean, even through the fire. So, do not be afraid. Did you hear it? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because God is Father, Son, and Spirit who formed you and made you, who called you by name and pulled you into God's family, who lived for you and died for you and rose for you because God is with you and because God is love. So don't be afraid. Surrender. And then you can walk to those doors of hope.